Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. We talk about surrogacy here on Trending, but we haven't talked recently about choosing egg donors. We've talked about designer babies and how there's this push to have the perfect child the perfect education, the perfect clothes. But what if you can make that child perfect in terms of who you try to choose to be the parents to then carry a child for the surrogate to carry the child? We're going to talk about this video of this couple on social media that has gone viral sharing their story and how to choose an egg donor. We'll talk about some of the problems of surrogacy and also include the real challenge that fertility poses for many people today. But does that mean we should change the way we get to achieving a baby. Joining me in just a moment will be Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morse. People are often concerned about their children keeping up academically, socially, developmentally, but the last few years have led to the largest developmental day delay we've ever seen for children of all ages here in the United States. Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morse will join me to discuss what's happened and what parents, educators, and all of us can do to help support the flourishment of young people. It's interesting as I've been looking at the research, last year as we were heading into the school year, a British medical journal study came out that we discussed that COVID-19 has led to children born during the last couple of years to have a skyrocketing of scores that have declined on the cognitive test. That would include children such as my baby girl, born in the heart of COVID, December 2020. What we've seen in these young children is a decrease in communication, motor skills, visual responsiveness, but this isn't just what's happening for little babies. It's also for kids across the board. In fact, recent studies have shown, in fact, in a survey coming from the New York Times, that school counselors across the nation nearly unanimously are saying that the lockdowns, masks, all of it have led children to have heightened levels of anxiety, poor, uh, really poor uh, turnout in terms of how they're doing in school socially, academically. And I've talked to some of my friends who are teachers and they say they're dealing with kids who are a couple years behind academically or interpersonally, socially, emotionally. In fact, just a few months ago, one of my friends moved cross country. She left Southern California where lockdowns were at some of their heaviest for a couple years. Her and her husband finally left with their little boy. And sure enough, she saw this massive change in an area that didn't have such severe mask lockdowns and the lack of ability to socialize with others. Her child started talking and interacting and motor skills, all of it, 
jumped leap and bounds within weeks and days. Praise the Lord. But that's not what everyone's seen with their kids as we come back from the last couple of years and face ongoing lockdowns and restrictions at times. So to navigate this, to see what's happened and where we can go with this is Dr. Jennifer Robach-Moore. She's the founder of the Ruth Institute. You can find her at ruthinstitute.org. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. Dr. Morris, what is research showing has happened to these children and what can we do about it? Well, Timory, first of all, thanks for having me on to talk about this important subject. And, you know, I haven't worked on child development for a number of years. I first started writing about it back in when I wrote Love and Economics, because I was concerned about the bonding between parents and children. And one of the things that we've seen in this in these lockdowns is that children from educated families are, are holding on. They're doing okay. Why? Because they, the lockdowns had them at home with their parents who were reading to them, who were functioning, functional people. Um, the children of poorer families or less educated families, not so much. The parents were not so much reading to them as putting them in front of a, a screen. You know, the kids were having much more screen time. Um, and if the family is not a stable family, if there's a dysfunction in the family or there's not a stable mother and father relationship, um, then the, all, all of the, the problems in the family are magnified by everybody being home on top of each other um, if, if the, for the whole period of the lockdowns. And so, so what you saw uh, is not only developmental delays in a lot of the kids um, cognitively and socially, as you were describing, but a gap. Uh, between the educated mm. and the less educated, the children of the more educated doing better and the children of the less educated doing worse. So um, the, the any strides we may have been making towards equality, um, you know, those are getting wiped out. Uh, likewise, if you look worldwide, there's been a, a, a tragic increase in the number of children who are um, insecure in their food. There's been an increase in malnutrition. And mm. once again, over the over the years, we have been improving um, people's physical well-being. We've been lifting people out of poverty. Now, that's been part of the the rejection of socialism and the move towards more market-based solutions to things. And um, but but uh, but the lockdown, you know, the lockdown amounts to a massive shutdown of the whole economy. Uh, and so, if you're starting in a country that's already poor and you shut down the economy, you know, you're slowing down something that wasn't really going all that well in the first place. Uh, there are many more children suffering from malnutrition than there were, um, you know, two or three years ago. So that's the, that's the big picture, Timory. We can we can go into more detail if you want to. But um, those are some of the highlights of, of what I've seen, at least so far. Dr. Morris, I love that you mentioned your book, Love and Economics, because when I first heard of this last year, I immediately thought of you and your research on this topic of the bonding between mothers and children, how important moms are, and you ex also explain how important dads are to support the mom, but also to give children things that only dads can give children and that only moms can give to children, which ties into a topic I'll be discussing later, uh, the issue of surrogacy in oh, our God. culture. And I know that you have spoken heavily on this topic as well, but at the heart of this, what we're talking about is what does the presence of a mother and father look like in the home and what does that interaction look like? And what we've seen during COVID, even again, you mentioned this even larger gap between the educated and less educated, uh, but kids I've seen even in our own social spheres where I have, you know, a daughter the same exact age as another couple and I'm seeing, you know, 
massive months upon months in delayed speech, uh, delayed, you know, rolling over, you know, crawling, walking. And grant, some of that's just natural. Kids have different paces and we shouldn't be sitting mm-hmm. here comparing all the time. But sometimes right. it's so mm-hmm. obvious when it comes to the um, interaction in terms of how the child is responding visually uh, to visual stimulation, to touch and to conversation. That's part of what's been seen in some of this research. If you could explain a little bit of that. Well, yes, the, the, the infant, um, the study of infants is one of the things that really grabbed my attention and that is really very concerning. Um, th- there was a study um, that was done in, uh, in Rhode Island, I believe, and they, this is a study that have, had been ongoing. They had already been measuring infant IQ, okay, so they're looking at newborn babies and, and their development over, I think it was the first 18 months, and, and what they saw in the post-COVID babies, the babies born after the lockdown, a 22-point drop in infant IQ, okay? And infant IQ doesn't mean vocabulary and things that you know, ability to play chess or something. You know, they're, me- they're measuring things that are unique to infants, you know, so they're things like uh, fine motor control, gross motor control, visual receptivity that you were kind of re- referring to just now, um, expressive and receptive language, those types of things which are the big developmental tasks of the first 18 months of your life, right? Um, and so the, the um, hypothesis about what's going on is um, more, too much TV exposure, you know, it would be one cause, um, a decrease in the amount of conversation with the children and the number of words spoken to children, you know. So it's not the same to say that, um, oh, a mother who's home alone with her kids all day. She's not really talking to the kids. The children aren't socialized. You need to put them in daycare so they can be around other people. No, what normally happens in a home with the mother and father staying home with the children, mother is interacting with the baby all day long. And then they go out to the supermarket and she's pushing the, she's pushing the shopping cart and people are coming over and going, goo to the baby uh, because it's fun and it's engaging. And I know moms who who wait till the baby's awake to take them to the store so that people will talk to them, you know, and have all this type of, um, you know, very, very fine grained, numerous forms of interaction with other human beings. Um, so the lockdown um, restricted all of that and, and retarded all of that uh, interaction, healthy, normal interaction. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I, I haven't seen anybody say this, Timory, and I worry about it. I don't know if this is true, but I certainly hope that mothers who were nursing their babies in the privacy of their homes were not wearing masks. Oh my golly, I hope Mm -hmm. that was not going on because the face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact mm -hmm. between mother, nursing mother and baby, that is extremely important for brain development. So I I, I suppose there were probably some people doing that. I I hope people had the sense enough not to do it, but but that would would literally be catastrophic to to have the baby looking at masked mama. Right. Dr. Morris, I've mentioned before, and we'll have to post a link to our last conversation in the podcast notes, uh, that your book, Love and Economics, had a huge influence on me. I remember reading it right after I finished graduate school, and you really explained so well these things that uh, women don't know, don't understand, you know, that were second nature for generations before us, such as nursing and keeping eye contact with your kid while you nurse, and not looking at your phone the whole time, not looking at TV the whole time, but gazing into the face 
face of your child uh, and having that connection. And it was interesting because I remember some people, you know, wrote back, you know, I'm not going to spend half the day gazing into my child's face while I nurse. I'm not saying it's 100% of the time, but what I'm saying is the research has shown, and you show this so well in your books, that kids need things such as this. So your book was so applicable for me when I, here I am in the middle of COVID, a first time mom, have this newborn, I'm traveling back and forth across the country more than I've ever ever traveled with this baby in my arms and I'm pulling the mask off so that she can see my face to reassure her to nurse her you know I'm nursing her underneath a big blanket and you know these things that were so simple and might seem I think seemingly rebellious to some people Dr. Morse were what I think for me I know with my child I understood the research that you're talking about that we need to form these children so that they're not having these social developmental academic delays that are so important for their flourishment. Right, right. And, you know, it it is common sense. When you have a normal functioning society, mom and dad are in the home together, and there are other people around them on a regular basis. You know, they're not completely isolated. They have other family members. They have other neighbors. You know, there are other people in your life. Um, And what the lockdown did was to force people into an extremely unnatural social isolation. I mean, when you think about it, Timory, think about this. One of the worst punishments you can inflict on a, on a criminal, on a hardened criminal, is solitary confinement. You know, mm-hmm. and so, you know, the, the, uh, the, the public health authorities have us all in solitary confinement for months on end. You know, you know w- w- wait a minute, we didn't do anything to deserve this. What the heck is going on here? Um, we, we, we have no right to be surprised. Uh, that vulnerable children who are still at the heart of their development, uh, that this didn't do them any good, right? You know, that this might have consequences that we didn't fully anticipate. It makes you think twice about how to handle uh, the next steps. You know, many kids are still masked. Many areas, uh, just as recently as San Diego, was put back into a full lockdown with masks, all of it. And probably the majority of people I see the most often with masks today are children. I mean, this is what's the norm in our schools. And it's fascinating, Dr. Morse, because many people are choosing to pull their children out of public school. There's been a mass exodus from public school. And there's also been a mass exodus from schooling and into homeschooling and hybrid versions of homeschooling uh, with parents who never thought they'd see themselves homeschooling. And it's due to one, these mandates that have been very harmful for children developmentally, emotionally, and mentally, but also it's really shed a light on the damage that has been done to children universally with regard to indoctrination of them and ideas and the anti-Christian mindset that is being forced upon these children. It's as if kids have been a target during COVID and of course in the academic system for years and finally people see the reality of it. Well, you know, I, I gave a talk not long ago called um, Kids and COVID, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, <laughs> and, and one of the good things is uh, the increase in homeschooling, you know, the number of parents who are saying, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm home all day with the kids now, I, I guess I can do it. And if, the, if, the, if this means they don't have to be in masks uh, all, all day long, uh, that tips the balance towards I'm going to keep them home. And the other thing that we should call attention to is the fact that a lot of kids were doing their schoolwork with their teachers, but over Zoom meant that the parents could be looking over their shoulder and find out what those what the heck was actually going on in some of those classes. And I think that the long-term effect of that, I think, will be positive. 
because parents, this is part of the reason parents are aware of some of the radical sexual indoctrination, for example, you know, that when, when people think of sex ed in the schools, you know, a lot of times they think, well, we need to, you know, we need to make sure kids know what to do and that they're, that they're going to be safe and blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, the reality is children should learn about sex from their parents in the privacy of their home. And, and it should be a personal uh, uh, explanation. And it, it, when the child is ready, you know, it should not be a whole crowd of kids sitting there while some stranger yammers at them. Um, about, about sex with whatever his or her values might happen to be, you know. And so now more and more parents are aware of that. And so that's one of the long-term benefits of this whole, uh, you know, kind of seriously abnormal, uh, very disruptive system that we've lived under for the past couple of years. So I, I, I look to parents to, you know, to continue down that path, you know, to continue with courage and to continue with confidence that this is something you can do. And if you are in a situation where your kids are in school part of the time and you're now aware of what's going on in the school, you get in there and fight, you know, and, and parents mm-hmm. across the country are fighting all kinds of things that they weren't fighting before. So this part of the thing um, actually is a, a, a healthy development. That's Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris, the founder of the Ruth Institute. You can find her at ruthinstitute.org. That's ruthinstitute.org. I'll post a link in social media as well as in the podcast notes. We're going to come back and we'll talk about some of the neat things that parents offer to children just in that simple, plain interaction they have, how we need to take back kids from what's been happening over the last couple of years, two years worth of delay in development, social skills, emotional skills, mental health. That's Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse will be right back here on Trending. Also, I'm going to share with you something you have to hear with regard to how some people are choosing egg donors to choose how to have a baby via surrogacy. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome, welcome to all our new listeners on KLFE AM, Relevant Radio 1590 in Seattle, Washington this week. It's so great to be with you. I'm Timory. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'd love to hear from you, topics you'd like to hear discussed. We cover hot button issues, especially that cross into our daily lives, especially when it comes to a lot of the moral issues that cross into the privacy of the bedroom and sexual morality. In fact, we're going to talk about surrogacy. Maybe you've thought, hey, what's the big deal with surrogacy, third-party reproductive technologies from in vitro IVF, in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination, especially if someone's struggling with infertility. Well, we'll talk about that here and it'll probably be one of the most blatant and obvious, I think, moments where we see something's going awry when we play with life the way we have. So stay with me, but joining me now is Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. She's the founder of the Ruth Institute. You can find her at ruthinstitute.org. We posted a link on social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I've also tagged her on social media. And her book, Love and Economics, It Takes a Family to Raise a Village, has probably been one of the most influential books on me and much of the work that I have done. She shows so eloquently the connection between the sexual revolution, the importance of mothers uh, within the home, with raising children, uh, how the family dynamic works. And it's so important that we understand that she talks about the development of children and 
part of why we're talking today about this issue is because over the last couple of years, with all of the lockdowns, the masks, the in and out of school, children have truly suffered. We're seeing a basically a two-year development for pretty much all school children right now, an increase in anxiety, depression, uh, inability to perform properly in academics. And we've also seen this is coming back to what's happening in the homes. You'd think kids are home more, more engagement with parents should increase some of what's happening here. But the reality is, is that a lot of parents have been distracted trying to work, trying to catch up with the news, trying to keep up with the kids. It's been a lot, but it goes to point back to how important it is that we are interacting with our children. And even if you don't have children, how you interact with kids as well. And so I want to dive into Dr. Morse, some of the really neat things that you discuss in much of your work, such as the importance of playing peekaboo with a child and how a child's identity is wrapped up with a mother and what the father represents to a child. If you could unpack some of these significant things for child development. Well, you know, a lot of these things are things that I talked about 20 years ago in Love and Economics. And it, I have to say, it, it does my heart good to hear somebody like you say that it was helpful to you because um, that book is like a sleeper, you know. Um, I, I was really trying to get my economist friends to see that we couldn't just keep on saying, well, adults get to do whatever they want and everything will turn out in the end. Um, you know, that that's really not going to work for kids, that, that kids need their parents and and that fact places demands on parents. And when you really start to analyze what it is that parents do, um, you, you start to appreciate just how social the human person is. You know, um, The Bible tells us that it's not good for the man to be alone. Well, science, baby neuroscience will tell you it's not even possible for a baby to be alone. <laughs> you know, you leave the baby alone, baby dies, you know. Uh, and if you, if you, if you just you know, put food in their crib and, and leave them on their own, you know, you take care of their material needs, they can die from that. You know, they, they waste away. Um, that, that's called, um, uh, there's, there's a name for it that, that, that escapes me right now. Um, but but it, it, you saw it in hospitals, you see it in orphanages, you know, this type of, of um, it's sometimes called psychosocial dwarfism. Children don't grow, even though they're being fed, you know. Um, and, and part of it is that the rocking the baby, holding the baby, stimulates the baby's growth hormones, if you can imagine that, you know. Um, rocking the baby stimulates the um, part of the vestibular um, nervous system that prepares the child for language. You know, when, when children have language delays, if you have it. By the way, you were mentioning your friend whose child was not as far advanced as yours and you were concerned. One thing we should say is that boys are developmentally delayed compared to girls at birth. Okay, so if your little boy isn't talking at two, that means something very different from if a little girl isn't talking at two. Don't worry if your little boy is not talking at two. You know, <laughs> if he's four or five, then, then you can worry, you know. But, um, but, but the, the, the children, um, the, if, you, if you have a little boy who talks late and you take them for therapy, it isn't unusual for the speech therapist to put them in a swing or a spinner and spin them around to stimulate that part of the nervous system that prepares the child for language. Now, when you think back, what do parents do with a new baby? What do, what do daddies do with a toddler? They pick that baby up, they put them on their knee, they toss them up in the air. You know, if there's two adults in the room, my big brothers used to do this, toss the baby back and forth across the room, baby's laughing her head off, you know, think this is really fun, really great. Well, while you're doing that fun, natural kind of activity, 
you're stimulating the baby's nervous system, getting them ready to talk, you know? So there's all these little things. It's so fascinating to Marie. It's so fascinating. And, and it tells you that, that the human person is intrinsically social, and our faith tells us this, um, but the human person is meant for love. And we're meant for union and communion. That's, you know, that's the kind of beings that we are. And if we disrupt the social process, we're going to cause all kinds of problems we can't easily predict. And if we keep the social process going, you know, it's not rocket science. You know, you just stay engaged. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you talk to the baby, you look at the baby, you, you know, you, you talked about um, making eye contact during nursing. That's pretty natural. You know, most mamas do that. Um, and when you're home doing your little chores and your baby's in the rockaroo sitting on the top of the table and the baby's looking at you while you're doing your things, right? And you're looking back and the baby will make a little noise and you'll respond to the little noise. You know, you're having a little conversation there. Um, you, you just have to, you just have to do what comes naturally and not let yourself get stressed out about whether you're doing it by the book or, you know, mm-hmm. whether, uh, whether babysitter is going to show up on time so you can get to your office, <laughs> you know, all these kind of anxieties that we have built into modern life, you know, they, they're, they're unnecessary. And if, if you could just, um, reduce some of the anxiety, you could be a better parent naturally. And, and what the lockdowns did was scare everybody to death, first of all. Um, and, and increase people's anxiety level, increase people's mistrust of people, um, and, and just reduce our sociability overall. So it doesn't surprise me that the kiddos are having problems. And I think we're going to be studying it for a long time to figure out exactly what we've done here uh, and try to figure out how to mitigate it. Dr. Morse, you just explained something fascinating to me. You know, here I am, I'm home with my daughter all day long, every day. And I was fascinated starting about four to six months. I remember my husband Gabriel would come home and, you know, he would be playing with her and throwing her around rougher than I would be. And then he'd sit there and he'd talk to her and he'd ask her how her day was. And she (laughs) would babble and babble and babble Uh and babble. And I would be talking to her all day, but she'd be babbling for five and 10 minutes. I have these videos. Videos. And he, he would be asking her, you know, what did the stock market do? And, you know, what did you eat? And she would just keep talking as if she was fully aware of everything going on. And he could understand her and she could understand him. And it amazed me, Dr. Morse. And you just explained why that was happening, the connection with the yeah. physical interaction and yeah. how fathers usually give that. Yeah, yeah. And and I will say that, that you know, girl, there are a lot of important differences between girls and boys developmentally, okay? So all these people who have been yammering at us for years that, that everything's socially conditioned, yeah, it, it, there is no serious child development specialist who would say that, okay? I mean, I'm just going to say, if you have ever spent five minutes with normal children, <laughs> you, you will be quickly disabused of the idea that, you know, that there's no difference between girls and boys. And, and like I said, boys... Um, Boys are, are development, except for their physical, except for the gross motor skills, the little boys tend to be developmentally delayed compared to the girls. And the little boys especially need their mommies to help them navigate the social world because it's more complicated for them. And, you know, so it's, you don't want to say that they're mama's boys, but they do, they need their mamas. And then as they get older, of course, they need their daddies, you know, to, to know how to how to be brave and how to, how to not be afraid and how to go forward and, 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 and how to control their power, how to control their bodies, you know, all of those type of things that, 
that, that daddies do. Um, so, so the baby needs mommy very much, right? And it's very important that the baby is you know, loved unconditionally. And the older the child gets, the more daddy's role comes into, uh, comes into focus, you know? So it's very fascinating. But the, 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 the thing that you simply can't avoid is that we are social beings. And there is so much in the modern world that doesn't want to understand that. You know, we're, we're all autonomous adults. We're all, you know, the, the, the goal is to be completely independent. Well, you know, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris, the founder of the Ruth Institute. Find her at ruthinstitute.org. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. I highly recommend a number of her books, one of which is a favorite of mine called Love and Economics. It takes a family to raise a village. Every new mom, every mom, every person who's considering being a parent, men and women, it's full of research. I think that is so poignant and relevant today. We posted a link on social media. Dr. Morse, I remember in your book, and I keep meaning to go back and look at it, and I know there's a connection you've made to even what's happening with COVID, but the significance of peekaboo for a child um, and how important that is. Can you explain that? Oh boy. Okay. So we had this explained to us. Uh, so I should probably, how, how long do we have here, Timmy? <laughs> um, um, the, the way my doctorate's in economics, okay? I didn't plan on becoming knowledgeable about child development, particularly, you know? Um, but we. But you said yes. <laughs> but we said yes. You know, God had this crazy plan for mm. us. Um, we had, we struggled with infertility. So your topic on coming up on surrogacy is interesting to me. Um, and we resolved our infertility by adopting a little boy from a, a Romanian orphanage who was two years old, two and a half years old when we got him. And then six months later, we gave birth to a baby girl. So Praise our children our, our children are now in their 30s and they're fine. They're all growing up and everything. Um, but at the time, you know, this was quite a you know, 1991 was a big year at the Morse Ranch. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it was just, we had a lot going on. And our, our little boy who had been profoundly neglected, you, you can see that kids need their parents. I mean, just 100% obvious, kids need their parents. And so when our daughter was, a, was an infant, you know, we had a child development person who was saying to us, you know, peekaboo is an important developmental task. You should really play, you should really play peekaboo with your son, you know. And we're like, you know, what? <laughs> what, what do you mean? You know, well, well, well you, you put the cloth over the baby's head or, or over their head or between you and their baby. And, and the game is that you're waiting and, and the fun, the payoff, the reward is eye contact, right? You, you take the cloth away and, oh, peekaboo. And the baby's all excited because they see you. And my husband did that with our daughter when she was probably five months old. She's laying on the bed, and he'd put the little cloth on her face, and she'd, she'd, she'd get her little fists and knock it off, and everybody thought that was really fun and everything. But when we did it with our little boy, he was scared, Timory. When we put that cloth over his head, he was scared. And so we had to teach him to not be scared. We had to teach him to play peekaboo which kids normally just automatically learn how to do, you know? So that one little thing shows you just how much you, mom, every mom, how much you are doing without even thinking about it. You are developing your child's brain, their eye contact, their ability to have a conversation, their ability to take turns, you know, all of that stuff uh, is taking place 
if you're reasonably attentive and your kid is reasonably normal, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna do fine. You know, that's just uh, that's that's the way we're put together. And your story, which I know you share in Love and Economics as well with, you know, part of what inspired you to write what you did from your battle with fertility uh, to then raising, you know, children who had these developmental, one child who had this developmental delay and that that fear that you mentioned from a lack of physical contact, human contact that is so profound that we just don't realize. And I think that's what's fascinating that I always think of you with what's been happening with COVID is to know your story and then to know the connections of what people are referring to these developmental delays of children today are comparable to the children who came out of the Romanian orphanages 30 years ago when they had no human contact or being fed uh, with a bottle wired to, you know, a, a um, crib there without that interaction that we can do this, not just in a lockdown, Dr. Morse, but even with the fact that we can be distracted by so many things in the day to day and miss the beauty of that human interaction that we're called to, especially with children. Uh, that's a really that's a really profound point that that all of our all of our wealth and all of our uh, science and all of our sophistication we can still screw up you know we can absolutely get this wrong you know um, if we allow ourselves to be distracted from the things that really matter so that that's a that's a beautiful observation. That's Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse, the founder of the Ruth Institute. Please follow her and her work, ruthinstitute.org. Check her out on social media, her email list, incredible resource in the fight against what's happening from the fallout of the sexual revolution, everything from the fertility crisis, the impact of divorce on children, to the gender ideology. Again, that's ruthinstitute.org, ruthinstitute.org. We post a link on social media as well as to her book, Love and Economics. I'll be right back here on Trending. We'll talk about surrogacy. Maybe you think surrogacy is okay, third-party reproduction, especially in the cases of a battle surrounding fertility. We're going to talk about that because this clip I have to show share with you from a TikTok video is absolutely astounding. You may not realize that this is where surrogacy has led us. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our Lord often preached about being good stewards of God's gifts. A legal will guarantees that the important people in our lives and everything we worked for will be taken care of according to our wishes and our Catholic faith. Make your will today using free will. Go to relevantradio.com slash free will to learn more. That's relevantradio.com slash free will. It's absolutely free. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Okay, we've been talking a lot about the importance of mothers and fathers, especially in light of the COVID lockdowns that we've experienced over the last couple of years. But I was reminded of the connection to everything we've been discussing about child development, um, about delayed gratification, so many of these topics and how it ties back into the topic of surrogacy. Many people think surrogacy in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination, all of that uh, is about really regarding people who are struggling to have a child and is a solution to those people who want to have a child. And for many, you may think, well, this is a great solution. Someone who wants to have a baby 
can actually have a baby. But a video that recently went viral on social media coming from a TikTok account called Stuart and Francis just about made my jaw drop. I've heard many of these things before from people who are seeking out to have a child from these fertility clinics that house egg donations and sperm donations where you can go in, choose the egg, choose the sperm. You can literally go through catalogs of people, photos of people who have donated you know, their egg, their sperm and whatnot uh, so that they could become egg donors, make money from it, or maybe some altruistically want to help someone who's struggling to have a child and so they're willing to donate. But this viral TikTok video is absolutely shocking. So this comes from a vlog from Stuart and Francis on TikTok. It's a vlog. They call themselves gay dads. They share their surrogacy journey and the day-to-day of being dads to a child that they created that was conceived uh, via artificial uh, insemination or sorry in vitro fertilization and then carried by a surrogate and now they have this baby and so I want to share with you from Stuart and Francis when they talk about how they chose their egg donor. So this is how we chose our beautiful egg donor. Um, so we wanted her to have lovely big eyes. I wanted her to have really thick hair because I've had two hair transplants. <laughs> I wanted her to have a really wide, nice smile and just look like a kind person. Yeah, and we wanted her to be creative because we love the arts. Yeah. So how it works is you join up with the egg donor agency and you literally go through thousands. That's what Stuart That's did. what I did. I went through thousands, thousands, thousands. I shortlisted them, sent them to Francis and yeah. let him decide. And then we had, I had three or four in front of me and then we had a few Zoom calls with the ones that we liked, and then the yeah. first egg donor let us down. Fuming, so second egg donor let us down. Oh, yeah. Fuming. Fuming, and then by the third, we literally found her, and I was like, oh, she's incredible. And when we got on the Zoom call, we were like, oh, be calm, God. play it so down, beautiful. don't be too keen. Um, and and luckily, she said yes, and this is the result. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you don't have to see the video because if you add the video to this whole thing, my heart, just my jaw, everything drops and sinks uh, because it's sickening. Yes, the joy, there's a beautiful baby in their arms, but here are two men holding this baby where this baby's automatically from the moment the intention was ever thought of to create this baby in a Petri dish, this baby was automatically denied not just a mother, but also their biological mother also denied the woman the surrogate who would carry the child for all those months but let's backtrack we'll come back to that in a moment because we've talked often about the fallout of surrogacy the impact on the woman who carries the child the legal battle um America, here in the United States, we have the most permissive um, surrogacy allowance in the world uh, where people come from all over, many people from Europe coming to the United States to have children. In fact, I remember visiting some of my friend's kids. One of my friend's kids was in the NICU a couple years back and everywhere uh, there were couples of men because they were there and San Diego is a hub for surrogacy and men from France were there to adopt the child uh, that they had hired out to be created. And every child, I think this is important, whether conceived via artificial insemination, surrogacy, through a surrogate, 
These children are gifts from God. And this is part of the reason why this is so upsetting because we've turned to a culture that has led to what I would argue many people are calling designer babies. You listen to this vlog from TikTok, the Stuart and Francis, and they chronicle their day-to-day lives as gay dads, as they refer to themselves, um, as a surrogacy journey. And they share this about finding an egg donor, that they were looking for a certain type of eye color, big eyes, thick hair, uh, creative and dimension because they're very creative and they love the arts. They were looking to all of these things to determine who they were going to hire to be the egg donor to this child, who they were going to hire to be a surrogate to carry this child. Because they wanted the perfect baby that would perfectly please them with eye, hair, and the potential for creativity based on the creativity of the parent, the mother, the biological mother, the donor that they were hiring out. As you heard Stuart and Francis share, they went through thousands upon thousands of faces. They made calls. They spoke to various women determining who that person would be and whom they would harvest eggs from in order to have this little baby that they're holding so joyfully. And I mark, I acknowledge the joy in their hearts. That's a good thing. That paternal joy that these two young men have for this child, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The fact that that baby exists is a beautiful gift from God, but that does not mean that the way in which choosing to get there was right. The Catholic Church explicitly teaches about artif- against artificial insemination, in vitro fertilization, and surrogacy. Why? In part because, one, the process of IVF, the process of all of this, often includes abortion. Not always, but where multiple babies are created in an environment that is not the normative environment for creating human life through natural means, through a man and a woman, but done in a Petri dish. And then a new human life is created outside of a woman's body. And then in a, like a test, this baby is then placed into the uterus of the woman to see how long this baby will continue to develop. It's a baby in its earliest stages of development in a very fragile state and in an unnatural environment, not because the womb is an unnatural environment, because that was not the womb that the baby was intended to be in in the first place. And so the success rate of the number of children uh, that actually come to full term that even last 5, 10, 20 days is very low. And so what happens is many new human lives, many babies are created and many of them die, often all of them in the process, which I find absolutely negligible to begin with. But then also what happens is sometimes two, three, four, five, eight children may actually develop. And the reality is, is that no woman is actually going to want to carry eight children that have developed in her womb. This is where we got Octomom. You guys may remember 15, 20 years ago, the story of Octomom. Well, she used in vitro fertilization, and this is why she had so many children, but she chose to keep the babies instead of abort them. In our culture, IVF, all of that usually turns to abortion in the process to quote-unquote selectively reduce which children will stay, especially selectively reduce children that are believed to be a little less apt to be as uh, physically um, successful, to be as uh, perhaps might have um, some genetic disorder that they pursue. So they abort those ones selectively, or they abort the ones that would be a boy over a girl if there was a preference. 
But what this vlog shows from TikTok, and this is legitimate, they have thousands, at times millions of views on their TikTok videos chronicling their day-to-day -day lives as gay dads having hired a surrogate for this beautiful little baby boy that they have. The attitude of designer babies is so damaging. It's damaging for the people who are seeking to conceive these children, and it's damaging for the child and the expectations placed on children. Just because you desire to have a child doesn't mean that you have a right to a child. And that is one of the hardest things to say, especially, especially for anyone who has struggled with fertility. And I think that as a culture, we want to be so compassionate and never say no when someone so honorably and desirably desires a child. And through perhaps no means and having done nothing wrong, are not able to conceive a child. Or because they are like Stuart and Francis who are choosing to live in a same-sex relationship and they want to be dads. That desire to be a dad, I get. It's a beautiful desire. It's a God-given desire. It's a natural desire. But that doesn't mean you have a right to create a new human life and from its very in from the very intention of creating that baby, from the very first contract that's used, literally a contract, not a loving, intimate act between a man and a woman. From the very first contract that's entered into, you are starting out with riding out the mother, the biological mother, sometimes the biological father as well, at least in this case, I believe the biological mother um, is the only person written out of this. Of And from the get-go, riding out the surrogate who will carry that baby for those nine months, having a strong level of bonding. These children are being denied a God-given, natural right from the moment of their conception by the way we are conceiving them and then by the way we are birthing them, by the way we are selling them, writing them off via contracts. Now, in this video from TikTok where they talk about, Stuart and Francis talk about who they're children choosing for the parent of their child, that they want a woman with the right eyes, big, beautiful eyes and thick hair and who is someone is creative. I know these things to be true, that these sperm and egg clinics that are seeking people to donate their sperm and egg, they're targeting people who they seemingly think will be the most athletic or whatever it might be. For years on social media, I have received advertisements, especially on Facebook, especially while I was in college and grad school and not long after, of course, as you have the student loan debt, advertising to me things such as, because Facebook, of course, knows I'm a dancer, of course, knows I have a fitness background, advertising to me, are you a dancer? Would you like to donate your eggs? Are do you have student loan debt? Would you like to donate your eggs? A quick and easy way to make some money, pay off debt, help cover your day-to-day your -day expenses over and over again. But no one's talking about the long-term impact that egg donation has on a woman where she hyperovulates and goes into this hyper... Um, ovulation that she produces more eggs than are natural because of medication that's used so that she can make more money so that these clinics can have more children or sorry not children but eggs to create children when let's say people such as Stuart and Francis want the woman with the right eye shape the right hair color the right characteristics and interests and talents to produce the greatest potential for the type of child they would like well what happens if your child's 
not the, doesn't look the way you wanted? What happens if your child's not interested in the things that you're interested in or the things that you want them to be interested in? What happens when your child has some sort of genetic disorder? What happens when your child is struggling because they don't have a mom because you created them and you are providing two fathers, which great to have male mentorship, male guidance, male love is so necessary. But as we've been talking about here on the show, children need a mother and a father. This is something that's still written into international law, something we still see even at the level of places such as the United Nations, where it talks about in international law that a child has a right to their biological mother and father and to be raised by their biological mother and father. This is what the church has been teaching and has held on to. And so often people will say, we need to catch up with the times. But I don't think that's the case. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, we were created as human beings with a function to create new human life. And that function requires a man and a woman. And that function in society has upheld for years that we have institutions such as one man, one woman marriage that protects and regulates sexual interaction, protects and regulates a man and woman staying together and remaining together for life so that a child can have the safety, the regularity, the consistency of a man and a woman who stay together for life. This is the great gift of human nature, of the God-intended purpose of the family. But are we listening? Or are we listening to the sad stories? And I've been there. Friends, family members who struggle to have children. I've shared with you before here on the show, I knew before I even got married that fertility was going to be a difficulty. I didn't know how much so until after I got married. And and I have two autoimmune diseases that impact having children. Like I understand. I understand this struggle. Praise the Lord, we have been blessed with children. But I remember, you know, just a couple months into being married, you know, people would ask, oh, you know, when are you getting pregnant? You know, people are so quick to dive into that topic. Um, strangers are. And I remember so often people in the secular culture, especially, you know, with teaching Pilates, people would say, oh, have you considered IVF? You know, you're not pregnant yet. And I know you want children. No, I haven't. Well, why not? You know, you can just, you know, start doing in vitro fertilization. But the truth of the matter is no one talks about the very, very, very low success rate for IVF, especially the older you get, the lower success rate, the lower success rate for people who also have various health issues various disorders and diseases. The truth is not shared regularly, and I have seen the fallout firsthand. I'll never forget, years ago, I was at a coffee shop, and I was doing research on the topic of in vitro fertilization surrogacy. I was there for hours working, typing away, and there was a a gentleman to my left who was also there uh, reading and his was there for a while and I could tell he kept looking at my computer screen. I thought, okay, here we are. And finally he says, excuse me, I can't help but notice that you're looking at um, a lot of information about IVF and surrogacy. I hope this isn't something you're considering doing. And I said, actually not. I said, I'm doing some research um, because I think that it has a really negative impact on women. And he said, this is my story. This is a story of my marriage. My wife is virtually non-functioning today, doesn't leave the home, isn't socially active, it's weighed on our marriage. 
Why? Because we tried multiple rounds of in vitro fertilization. They weren't successful. And he said the truth that babies are meant to be naturally conceived with a man and a woman is true. And that's the best thing for a baby and the best thing for a man and a woman. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Wednesday is our weekly gentleman's hour and I'm taking your questions. You'd otherwise ask your mom, your sister, and you want a Catholic take on, I'm here. We talk about everything from sports, nutrition, how important fitness is in our lives, but also navigating the day-to-day, dating, relationships, marriage, all of that. So gentlemen, join me for my weekly gentleman's hour, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.